we continue our series on God's priceless promises. What are you confident about? What do you put your confidence in? Your skills? Your bank account or your 401k? Your education? I have a master's degree, or you have an MBA, or you have at least, you're the first person in your family to go through college and graduate. Maybe you are confident about the talents that God has placed in you, and you're confident in that, or your level of intelligence whether or not you finished college or not, but you have a high IQ. Or maybe you have a high EQ, an emotional quotient. You can read people well, and you take confidence that you can size people up within minutes of meeting them. Maybe you have received training. Maybe you have a family pedigree. (laughs) No, you can't point back to the Queen of England, but maybe you can point back to someone that was back in your family tree that was someone well-to-do, someone famous, someone smart and intelligent. Some of you, I think, put your confidence in your job security. You, You have your job mastered, you do it well, the company loves you, and you just serve, and week after week. For some of you, it's your family unity. You are a close-knit family, and you're confident in that, and the kids come and talk to you, and and now the grandkids come and talk to you, and, and everyone seems to be on the same page as part of your family, and you're saying, man, it feels so good to be all together as a unit. Confidence. But what happens when the things that you put your confidence in no longer work so well? Your skills are outdated due to some health or other issue. Your bank account drains to zero. Your education at the time when you were trained was more than adequate, but now, nowadays, it seems to be you have to have an earned master's to do anything. Your talents are rusty, your intelligence is slipping, your training is outdated, your family pedigree, you find out eventually that you have some known felon in your life, and you say, well, I can't really point to that anymore. The job downsizes, and your job security disappears, and your family unity There is this one that you think was adopted who's living a way that is just not a part of your family and the family unity is struggling. See, we lose confidence. It fails. We we have no positive outcomes in our lives and we begin to second-guess ourselves. We begin to lose hope. We begin to lose perspective and we kind of think, Man, no one else is going through this. If 
you've ever watched a professional football game, there are men on the field, and then there are men who are on the sidelines, and often they're sitting on benches, and a number of them are on the phone, are they not? Now, who are they talking to? Well, they're girlfriends, right? <laughs> or their wives, or their stockbroker. I don't think so. In those football games, they are on the phone talking to another coach, usually up in the press box area. Why? I mean, these are paid professionals. They know the game inside and out. And whether they're winning or losing, often they're on the phone, especially the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, the defensive ends. They're talking to someone. They're talking to a coach who is up in the press box area. Why? Because he or she has a view of the entire field. They're watching every play, not from the ground floor, not from in the huddle, not from in the mess and the pileups. They're looking down and they're seeing the whole field simultaneously. And as they talk to the quarterback, they're saying, hey, you know, I know why you just got intercepted. You didn't see this or this and this happened. And all of a sudden, they intercepted you. And you wonder why the defense is not making any movement against the team and the defensive backs and others get on the phone. And they say, well, you, you're not understanding something. Here's the big picture. Here's what's going on in the field that when you're in the middle of the game, you don't see. And that perspective from the press box is important for those players to make it a winning season. Now, why do I say that? I think often in our lives, we're here. We're in the battle. We're in the struggle. We're trying to make life work week after week and day after day. And sometimes we need to check the press box, amen? We need to check upstairs to say, okay, God, what is the big picture? What's going on? Help me understand what my next moves are so I can be victorious in Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to look at a promise. And in this promise, we're going to get God's perspective, God's clearer picture of our lives. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, page 1247, there in the Pew Bible. Now Philippians, we're going to be in the first chapter, the very beginning of the letter, and you need to understand, if you've never read the book of Philippians through, what you find out is the tone of this letter is very personal. He's full of joy. He's commending the Philippian believers for all that they're doing. He doesn't, in this letter, give them correction. He gives them commendation. He pats them on the back. And you need to understand that as he writes this letter to this church at Philippi, it has now been 10 years since he initially helped plant the church. 
He's not seen them for 10 years. And right now, as he's writing this letter, he is now 800 miles away in Rome. And even though he is that far away and it's been that long a time, these believers bring great joy to Paul. He loves thinking about them. In verses 3 to 5, he is going to praise them. Let me read those. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. For Paul, it was sheer delight for him to pray for this congregation, for the individuals in this congregation. This was not dull drudgery for him. Oh dear, I got to pray for those Philippians again. Good grief. Now I know he would probably say that about the Corinth church. Messed up. Struggling. But these believers, in verse 5, he counts them as partners in spreading the gospel to the rest of the world. And he says to himself, what a joy. These believers are standing with me financially. They are praying for me. They encourage me. They're holding fast to truth. Man, model church. And I know them personally. What joy. And then we get to verse 6, which I believe is one of the most comforting verses in all of the Bible for Christians. Let me read it. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. And I am sure of this. Another translation, I'm confident of this. That God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In your outline there in the bulletin, if you would like to fill in some blanks, salvation is God's work. Salvation is God's work. God initiates He begins or initiates salvation in each one of us. And Paul has this great confidence, or other thoughts are a settled conviction that God has begun a good or great work in them. Now here's the reality, and I think we know it, but we need to be reminded of it. Salvation is all of God. It's all of grace. And how much do we add to our salvation? Nothing. Zero. If God didn't initiate, if God didn't start this process, we would be lost in our sins. Period. I can't even add 1%. And through this salvation process, God takes the initiative to transform each believer into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Salvation is God's work. Secondly, salvation is good work. God 
continues. Turn back with me one book to Ephesians chapter 2. Talk about this good work. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was our state before Christ. No exceptions. I don't care how good you thought you were. Those first three verses describe you. The largest contrast, one of them in the scriptures is found in verse 4, but God. In the midst of all of this darkness, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What a good work. God is working in each of his children. Swindoll says that confidence brings joy when we let God be God. Now what do I mean by that? Or what Swindoll meant by that? Sometimes... See if it doesn't fit you. Sometimes I play God in my own life. I try to accomplish spiritual growth in my own way. Uh, come on, fruit of the Spirit. Uh, get out of there. Pop out a little more love. Doesn't work, does it? But you've all tried it, haven't you? Let God be God. Let God grow you as you cooperate with his plan and purpose. But secondly, sometimes we play God in other people's lives. Through our constant worry, through our constant anxiety, and even through our occasional manipulation of their life. Because, you know, we know better than they do. Amen? Oh, we don't. We don't. Does God have a unique plan for each one of us to grow spiritually? Yes or no? Yeah. Yes. Does God have a unique plan for the person next to you? Yeah. Yes. Does God have a unique plan for your children yeah. and your grandchildren? Yeah. Okay, then why do you keep meddling with it? Well, because God needs my help. No, he does not. He doesn't. So let God pull off his plan in their life. Thirdly, salvation is a sure work. Salvation is a sure work. God guarantees. God guarantees. 
We were just in Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Now think about this. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee or a down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Not only is it a good work, it's a sure work. When I crossed from death to life because God initiated that plan, at that moment, besides being filled with the Spirit, God took up residence in my life in the third person of the Holy Trinity. That means the Holy Spirit now is resident in my life. Now, many of you have purchased homes or something on time, and they say to you, you must give us a down payment. You must guarantee that you're going to pay this loan. Wow, 20%? Well, you can do less, but we're going to charge you insurance because you didn't even come up with enough down payment. When I was saved, God the Father placed in me as a down payment, as a guarantee of his promises, the third person of the Trinity. What does that mean? Is God going to renege on the contract? Well, he's promised himself that he's not going to. It's a sure work. It's 100% guaranteed. And think about this. God already has the end in sight. He knows what's going to happen. He's begun a good work. He continues a good work. He guarantees a good work. Now, in your outline, I all say that salvation is a process. Now, why do I say that? Why is that important today? Because I think we fall into two traps, two snares. Number one, we think about our justification. That's a big 25-cent theological word. And we believe that I have a new standing before God. I'm justified, yes. And many Christians believe that's all I need. That I can just stop right there. I, I will get into heaven. People call that fire insurance. That's a trap. I don't have to worry about what else to do. God is there. It's all I need. And I'm justified in his sight. And so therefore I can just do what I want. It's not true. It's a process. Second trap is when I experience spiritual failure. Anyone else here experience spiritual failure? Okay. I do. I struggle at times. My confidence sometimes wanes and tanks because I have failed again. God, how can you love someone like me? Sometimes my heart grows cold. 
Sometimes I wonder, where is the fruit of the Spirit in my life? It's, it's devoid. Sometimes I feel forsaken by God. Where are you? What are you doing? We tend in those times to fall into despondency. We, we tend to fall into spiritual depression. I didn't even want to get up this morning and read the word because... God and I are on the outs. And sometimes it's not due to sin in my life. I sometimes in those times forget that this walk is a process. Salvation is a process. I'm going to have up days and I'm not going to have not so up days. It's part of the process. And I have listed for you three major steps in this process. Number one, or A on your outline, justification. There's that word, justification. And it is more than we've all been, I think, thought, taught as a child, just as if I've never sinned, that is incomplete. So if that's what you think the definition of justification is, please remove that from your thinking. Justification is the point where God imputes to me the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Which means, here's my account. It is full of sin. It's black, black, black. And if it, I believe that justification were just as if I've never sinned, I would go from negative, negative, negative to zero. That's not justification. Because justification takes me from negative sinfulness all the way to positive Christ righteousness. Wow. Now I put in your notes the letters G-A. That stands for God alone. Only God can justify me. God alone. He declares me righteous. I did not earn this. I did not deserve this. He just gives it to me by grace. The second step in the process of salvation is progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification. This takes place from my initial faith in Jesus Christ all the way to my translation, either through death or the rapture. This is where God disciplines me. This is where God works with me and works out his plan in my life so that I become more and more like Jesus Christ. And the same is true for you. More like Christ. And there are some years that have probably been in your life and you say, boy, I didn't grow very much this year. And then some years spiritually, it's like you were a little weed and you shot up spiritually and you'd say, man, look what God did. I put in your notes the letter P. What does that stand for? Partnership. Partnership. See, God asks me, he says, I have a plan laid out for you. I have my will that I want to work out in your life, but you need to partner with me. Well, how do we do that? We submit to his will. Oh, submission. Ugh. We don't like that word because I don't know where God's going to take me even this afternoon. 
God, you want me to be obedient, to listen, to do what you ask me to do? That's what partnership is. C, glorification. Glorification. In the passage, verse 6, that he who began a work in you will bring it to completion. That word completion means to bring about a result according to a plan or objective. Guess what? God has a plan for your life. Amen? Amen. Is it always pleasant? No. Is it always good? Yes. Maybe not in the moment, but God sees the end from the beginning, and it's always good. And I think we need to keep this in our mind. This is, again, G-A, God alone can glorify us. Here's the struggle. Sometimes as we are walking in this life and trying to follow Jesus Christ, sometimes we see our imperfections, amen? Sometimes painfully so. Sometimes it discourages us that we we have so much further to go. God's plan of salvation includes your glorification. Sometimes we have to keep the end in sight, that God is going to change us over time. And when we step into heaven as one of his children, we will also receive glorification. Wow. Again, do we deserve it? No. But Christ's righteousness gives it to us. Now, a side truth What a glorious promise. A side truth is that Paul lived this truth. Paul thought of others and not himself. Paul had complete confidence in God seeing him through to the end of his life. Now, how do I know that? Well, I forgot to tell you, where was Paul writing this letter from? Prison in Rome. He was waiting for his trial date. And until then, he was in chains. And so, if he didn't believe in his glorification, if he didn't know that God was working out a specific plan for Paul in his life, then how could he write with joy to this church 800 miles away 10 years later? because he believed the promise. Now, I know this is true in my life. There are some people that are great starters. (laughs) They, They jump off the line like a jackrabbit. There are some who are great finishers. And very seldom is that person both the great starter and the great finisher. It's usually one or the other. Can I tell you what's true this morning based upon Philippians 1.6? God will finish what he started. Amen? God will finish what he started. He will finish it in me, but he will also finish it in you. 
And if he starts something, what is the percentage that he will finish? 100%. Wow, what a promise. What does this mean for us? My confidence rests with God. My confidence does not rest on myself. And that means a couple things. Getting to heaven does not depend on us. It doesn't depend upon my ability to hold on. It doesn't depend on my ability to persevere faithfully to the end. Salvation is God's work, 100%. So the question is this morning, for some here, have you responded to God's call of faith for your salvation? Have you said, God, I'm a sinner. I cannot earn anything in your sight. But Jesus has paid the price for my sin. I trust his death and resurrection for me. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have gone from death to life. Only God can do it. It's God alone. Second truth or thing to think about See, God has a unique and perfect plan to form Jesus Christ in each one of us. So the question is, have you submitted to his plan? Have you gotten up this morning and said, Lord, I don't know what you have planned for me, but I am ready, I am reporting for duty, and whatever your plan is, show me so I can walk in it. Or did you get up this morning and said, Dear Lord, what a day. I'm struggling. Relationships are not good. Finances are in the tank. Work is a mess. Marriage is struggling. What am I going to do with my summer as a student? I think I've got to figure this out for myself, God. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Would you ask for a heart of obedience so that he can accomplish great transformation in your life? Or are you resisting his work? Where are you this morning in your level of submission to God's plan? I can't look in your heart and see that. Only you can answer that question. Thirdly, do you need to confess this morning that you have taken over control of your life because you no longer believe that God will finish his work in you? Are you discouraged? Would you let the Holy Spirit speak into your life this morning? Would you allow this promise? I am confident of this. That God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, will bring it to your glorification at the day of Jesus Christ. Embrace that promise afresh. No matter what's going on in your life, God is actively working in your life. And I'll tell you something else. Even when you choose not to submit, guess what? God is God. He's a gentleman, but he brings things to play in each of our lives that eventually, if not careful, he breaks us. 
He breaks us and he remolds us because he wants to see Jesus Christ formed in each one of us, his character into ours. And is God ever stymied in his will? No. So would you cooperate? Would you submit? And for some here this morning, would you express your confidence in God this morning that he is working in you? He will continue to work in you. He will eventually get you to glorification. And would you revel in that truth? It's God's work. As we see God work, let's praise him. And share those God sightings with each other. We all need encouragement from time to time. Amen? We do. We need to hear how God's working in your life. And you need to hear how he's working in my life. And we need to share those stories with one another. We need to celebrate the good work that God's doing in each one of us. That'll help us grow. Because I have learned over time as I walk with the Savior, there are times when his level of submission for my life ratchets up. That's called growth. Sometimes we say to young people, you know what, maybe it's time to become an adult now. Well, as believers in Christ, maybe it's time you become adults now. Trust this promise. Submit to his will. And know that the good work he is doing in you, he will keep on doing until Jesus returns or till he takes us home. Trust him. Let's pray.